Welcome to the online sermons at King Street Church. Feel free to listen or watch online at kingstreetchurch.com. We're located at 162 East King Street in the heart of Chambersburg, PA, and would love to see you in person at one of our five Sunday services. We certainly hope you enjoy this morning's message. Good morning, church. Good morning, those of you here in the sanctuary, looking over to those of you in our Baker Center. So how many of you heard, have ever heard of loving knuckles, loving knuckles? You know, the Bible talks about uh, greeting one another with a holy kiss, right? That's very much in the Bible, holy kiss, but it is cold and flu season. Uh, I grew up in a Baptist church, and we used to give uh, to new members, I remember this as a kid, we would give them the right hand of fellowship. Does that ring a bell at all? You know, the right, that's a good hearty handshake. But in these days, I think we need to be really good with loving knuckles, loving knuckles. And, and there's several options with, with loving knuckles. Dwayne, come here for a second. I want to show you this. Uh, bam, see, and then you can blow it up, right? You can blow up, but you, no, you don't just, not that. You've got to move the fingers a little bit, Dwayne. Let's try it again. Bam, woo with the sound effect. Let's try it. Come on, everyone up. Give some, and check out someone's name. Learn someone's name right now. Learn someone's name. Give them a few loving knuckles. Blow it up. Woo! Thank you, brother. That's right. I'm telling you, loving knuckles are uh, approved here at King Street. I officially bless them, and uh, so, you know, that's all good because there's a lot of sick people around. So, uh, <laughs> life in his name, life in his name, life in his name. John, turn with me to the Gospel of John, please, as we make our way really around the kind of the last couple of laps Hard to, hard to believe, really, that we have gone verse by verse, word by word, through the Gospel of John. We come to the end of chapter 20 today and uh, turn the corner into chapter 21 uh, next week, which is the last of the chapters, and then we have an anointing service uh, the Sunday after Thanksgiving, and then we move into Advent. Christmas is upon us, so uh, as we really come now to to the, the thrust of the way John concludes his gospel. It is all about living the call, living the call. We talk about that a lot here uh, at King Street Church. So I want to read for us chapter 20. I'll pick up in verse 19. On the evening of the first day of the week, this is Easter Sunday evening, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Shalom Aleichem, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again he said, Shalom Aleichem, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. 
If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, Thomas, a.k.a. Didymus, which literally means the twin, so he's one of uh, a pair of twins, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord, but he said to them, oh, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand in his side like you have, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again. And Thomas was with them this time. Though the doors were locked, same, same, Jesus came and stood among them and said, third time, Shalom Aleichem, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, hey Thomas, come here. Put your finger right here. See my hands. Reach out your hand. Put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas I have to imagine down on his knees cried out, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, Thomas, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Jesus, in fact, performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, not recorded in this book. But these are written, you know this verse, right? that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. This moment in time, this evening, Easter Sunday evening, is literally the moment when the world was turned. These men entered this room as disciples, okay? Disciples. We hear a lot about this word, go make disciples. It's very much a word that we use in church circles and in the church world. Jesus used the word, obviously, in terms of our commission to go make disciples. A disciple is a a person, one who follows someone else. That's what a disciple is. It's a student of a teacher or an adherent. So these ten men, we know Judas is dead by now, and they haven't replaced him yet with Matthias, and Thomas isn't with them. So these ten men entered this space. We learn it's a house. I suspect it was the upper room. We don't know for sure, but in my mind, that's where I put this, so I'll refer to it that way. These men entered the upper room and locked the door. They were scared clearly told in the Scripture, scared for their lives. Because if the, if the authorities had just put Jesus on a cross, guess what? <laughs> They're next. But they, they had been for three years, upwards of three years, disciples, followers. Wherever Jesus went, they went. Wherever Jesus slept, they slept. Whatever village or town Jesus went into, they went into. Every day their agenda was set by Jesus. Because they were disciples. They were followers. And yet from this moment on, this Easter Sunday evening, the job description changes. (laughs) They are no longer to be disciples in that sense of the word. They are now given a task. 
And they become in this moment, really, apostles. An apostle is one sent on a mission. Isn't that exactly what's going on here? They are sent on a mission. An apostle is a messenger commissioned to carry out a message. A messenger commissioned to carry out a message. You know, they hardly seem like apostles when they, when they come in, and especially when Jesus walks, not in the door, <laughs> through the door. Clearly, we see both cases, both Sunday nights, the doors are locked. This is such an interesting mystery. I don't understand it. We know for certain that Jesus in this state was not, um, he didn't have blood in his body anymore, did he? Poured all of that out on the cross. Gave his blood, poured out on the earth. And yet he had flesh and bone, and yet this flesh and bone was transformed and, and made new in a way that you can't miss the fact that he didn't come in the door. He came through the door. This foreshadows for all of us what lies ahead in our restored bodies, in our resurrected bodies that is yet to come for all who believe. They hardly seem apostles when Jesus walks through the door. Fearful, yes, but what else? I, I believe they were covered in shame. They felt such lack of courage such filled with shame because they had scattered when Jesus went to the cross. Total confusion. I mean, they are so confused. They had staked three years of their lives on Jesus, and now he's dead. Now what? I mean, there was a flicker of unusual hope. Mary had run in the room and said the body was gone. Peter and John had confirmed it. In fact, they were different in their faith, and yet here they are, and they see Jesus. He walks in. He stands among them, and his encounter with them this Easter Sunday Eve is really all about restoring, equipping, and empowering them. Restoring, equipping, and empowering. They have this experience with Jesus that is, how can we even imagine it? You know, to, to try to even get close, my mind went to a, a book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, C.S. Lewis. Many of you have seen it, seen the movies, read it. This actual copy, it dates back, it was interesting, I pulled it off my shelf this week, and for whatever reason, I've got names of my old elementary school and middle school friends. I, it tells you how old the book is, I don't know. My best friend growing up, Eric Vaughn, signed his name on the back of this book. So how cool is that? Who knew? Um, but there's a moment in, 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 this, in this story. It's the story, if you don't know it, of Aslan, who is very much a, a, a prototype of Jesus. He's a lion, and he is captured, if you will. He gives himself to be killed, and they shave him and mock him and, and shave off, of his, off his mane and lay him on what's called the stone table and tie him down and, and, and kill him right there on this stone table. And then afterward, the next day, Susan and Lucy, two young ladies in the Chronicles of Narnia, I imagine them 12, 13, 14, 15, 
They come much like Mary Magdalene and, and Mary, the mother of James, and, and Shalom, Salome and, and the other ladies. They come to, to Aslan, and yet we read this. The rising of the sun had made everything look so different. All the colors and shadows were changed. For that moment, they didn't see the important thing. Then they did, the stone table broken into two pieces by a great crack that round, ran down it from end to end. And there was Aslan. Oh, 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 cried the two girls, rushing back to the table. Oh, it's too bad, sobbed Lucy. They might have left the body alone. Who's done it, cried Susan. What does it mean? They looked around there, shining in the sunrise, larger than they had seen him before, shaking his mane, for it had apparently grown again stood Aslan himself. Oh, Aslan, cried both the children, staring up at him, almost as frightened as they were glad. Are you dead then, dear Aslan, said Lucy. Not now, said Aslan. You're not, not a, asked Susan in a shaky voice. She couldn't bring herself to say the word ghost. Aslan stooped his golden head and licked her forehead. The warmth of his breath and a rich sort of smell that seemed to hang about his hair came all over her. Do I look it? He said. Oh, you're real, you're real. Oh, Aslan, cried Lucy. And both girls flung themselves upon him and covered him with kisses. This moment in the Chronicles of Narnia is exactly what's happening in this upper room. And Jesus comes to these men and what he's doing here with them is giving them, as newly minted apostles, some gifts. We see some gifts that he's giving. In fact, five gifts very clearly are, are articulated that Jesus is imparting to these men. First of all is the gift of peace, <laughs> right? Peace. I, I use the Hebrew greeting, which is shalom alechem which is literally how they still say, peace be with you in Hebrew. It's exactly the words Jesus would have used with these men. But when you think about this gift of peace, this first utterance of Jesus to his disciples, it was a gift. Here they are cowering in shame and, and, and in fear. Here they are having... Peter himself denied that he knew Jesus and the others of them scattering upon his death. Literally every one of them leaving Jesus. Just two nights earlier, three nights earlier, as he's in his greatest suffering, they kept falling asleep and then the soldiers come and they leave in the darkness and yet Jesus gives them peace, right? What is he giving? He's giving them love. He's giving them favor. He's giving them blessing. He's giving them a sense of calm. Everything is okay. You don't have to worry. If I can really sum up what Jesus is giving them in this moment, it's grace. Grace upon grace. It's okay. No matter what you've done, I am here. I am with you. He gives them grace. I think of the father in the story, the, pro the prodigal son parable, how the father, when his son returns from being in a far-off land and squandering his estate, what does the father do? He runs to his son and embraces him. That's what Jesus is doing here, grace. And the second gift 
that he gives them is the gift of, of proof. He says, come, look. Put your hand here. Touch where the nail scar was. Reach in and touch the scar that is, that is my side where, they, where you, you know that they stuck the spear. You see, what Jesus is giving them is not only grace, but he's giving them truth. Truth. This proof is the ultimate truth that he is alive. It's very interesting. If you go all the way back to John 1, when John is describing the coming of Jesus, that he left heaven, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have behold his glory, the glory of the one and only Father, the, the glory of the Son, full, what does he say, of grace and truth. The very first two things that Jesus shows his disciples, gives his disciples, is grace, peace, and truth. I am alive. Thirdly, he gives them the gift of purpose. Purpose. Look at verse 21. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you as the Father has sent me. I am sending you. This is where everything turns. You're no longer a disciple. You're now an apostle. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Well, how did the Father send the Son? Think about John 3.16. Many of you know that verse. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son to the world so that whoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. You know, when I've been speaking with people that don't yet know Jesus, I'll encourage them to put their name in place of the word world. For God so loved Jody. For God so loved you that He gave His only Son that if you believe you will not perish but have life. And yet, think about this verse, John 3.16, in light of what Jesus has just said to His disciples. Just as the Father sent me, what does He say? so I am sending you. In the same way that I, Jesus says, was sent by the Father to the world, so you are sent by the Father to the world. And he's in essence saying, you are me. You are me. Your calling is now to go into the world just as I have come into the world to proclaim truth and grace and forgiveness to proclaim the gospel. You see, we live out the very call of God in our lives, the same as Jesus. We live out this call. You know, every Sunday, I conclude every service with the, with the words, go live the call. You know what that call is? It's this call right here. Just as the Father sent Jesus, so He sends us into the world. Amen. Amen. The fourth gift is the gift of power. Because he says, I am not sending you alone. And where we see this gift of power is in verse 22. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of interesting debate over what this verse means. Because we know that it's not for another 50 days that we're going to have Pentecost when the Holy Spirit will fall like fire on each of the apostles and the others that are in the early church and they will go out and, and in that day 3,000 believers will 
be reborn. But in this moment in the upper room, I, I think about kind of what Aslan did with Lucy and Susan, right? He just breathed on them. And in breathing on them, they were filled with his mercy and his power and his presence and his glory and his beauty. I love how C.S. Lewis describes it as such a sweetness. And I can't help but think what Jesus is doing in this upper room, in this moment, is exactly what he did with Adam in the garden. Right? We know that God took the dust of the earth and scooped up a body and bone and formed it into a man. And yet, it wasn't until God, what? Genesis 2 verse 7, breathed into Adam, into his lifeless body, that he was given life. That's exactly what Jesus is doing with these disciples in this moment. Or I think about Ezekiel 37, where Ezekiel, the prophet, had this vision of a valley of dry bones. You see, that's exactly what the church was basically going to be had Jesus not risen from the dead. Just dry bones. They're live. We would not be here today. There would be no A.D. in the year of our Lord had Jesus not appeared full of grace, full of truth, imparting the power, giving the purpose, and breathing on them new life because Ezekiel was told by God the Father, breathe life into these bones. Prophesy breath over these dry bones. That's what Jesus is doing. He's giving them life. Oh, church. Oh, church. Do you not see us in this story? Do you not see us? This didn't just happen in that upper room. This is exactly what Jesus desires to do with us because he has given us the fifth gift as well and that is the privilege you know you can read that well whoever whoever's sins you forgive their sins are forgiven and whoever you withhold forgiveness you have this great authority no no that's not what he means what he means here is you have the privilege of the gospel and what is the gospel the gospel is the forgiveness of sin this is now your message to the world. And it's the message of grace, of forgiveness. But we all have to understand also the other side of the coin. For if people refuse the gift of the gospel, the forgiveness that is ours in Jesus, they are left in their sin. There is no remedy for their sin. They are given the privilege of sharing the gospel with the world. Now, let me, let me think about this through the lens, really, of the, of the shadow side of this, of this whole passage. And what I mean by that is this. How often do we, the church, the church, King Street Church, the other gatherings, bodies of Christ that meet all around. How often do we, the church, find ourselves stuck in the upper room? How often do we find ourselves stuck in the upper room? Keeping the message to ourselves. Just getting all filled up on a Sunday. <laughs> and then doing nothing with it through the week. 
How often does this happen? I think about the, the condition of these disciples when Jesus walked through the door. They were filled with shame or fear or guilt. How often do we have church pews across America with people filled with shame or fear or guilt? Our faith wavers. We believe, but we're still filled with so many doubts. Oh, I don't know. I don't know if I fully believe this enough to stake my life on it. I don't know if I'm the one that God could. We struggle to connect Sunday to Monday. Our lives can lack such purpose. You see, we are given a God-given purpose to share this good news, the privilege, the gift, the power of being His apostles, if you will, His messengers into this world. Yet we struggle to connect Sunday to Monday. We're not at all certain that the Holy Spirit is active in our lives because we struggle so much to forgive others. We feel like we're the last person to tell someone their sins are forgiven. Church, I believe that this scene in the upper room, so much is, it, it describes tragically where the church is today, where we don't live into these gifts. Do you know, I, I, I looked this up, there's an author named Tom Rainer, and, and just a few months ago he wrote an article about the, the condition of the church in America. Do you know that on average in America every year, how many churches do you think are just closing their doors, shutting down? The answer is 8,000. That means that 150 churches this coming week are going to close. Close. Door shut. Not to reopen. You see, this condition, I, I think, is so indicative of the church today. We are given these gifts. This message is for us. We are called to live the call. These gifts that God has given these, these disciples, at some point we've got to turn from being disciples to apostles. And, and I don't mean the office of apostle. I really truly believe there was something very unique about these 12 men that, that were apostles into the world. And yet, I also believe that every one of us aren't called to just be disciples. We are called to be sent ones with a mission. And, and just to make sure we get it, just to make sure we get it, John then gives us the story, the account of Thomas, who said, oh, I, I'm with you guys, but I, you saw it and I didn't see it. This is too astounding. Come on, guys, come on. Now, I think Thomas has got a bad rap through the years, quite honestly. Doubting Thomas. You know, if you go back to chapter 11 just a week earlier, Thomas was right there saying before they went in to heal, before Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead and they went to the Jerusalem area, it was Thomas that said, let's go, we're with you, Jesus. We'll lay our lives down for you. He said that. And we also know that of all of the apostles, Thomas probably went the furthest geographically. Thomas, almost all history is so clear that he ended up in India, India, <laughs> and, and, and was martyred by the tip of a spear in India. And yet in this moment, Thomas is kind of a picture 
for all of us. Where he says, oh, really, Jesus? Really, is it true? Is this true? And yet, he touches the hand of Jesus. And what does he do? He bows and he says, my Lord and my God. You know, that's, that's what we're called to do today. We have the body of Christ right here with us. <laughs> we do. The bread, the juice. It's a picture. It's a symbol. It's more than a picture. It's a symbol. Physical. Of the very body of Jesus and the blood of Jesus. Jesus ordained this meal for us. And he said, when you eat this, I am with you. I am with you. And I want you to touch my hands. I want you to receive my blood into you physically. Because I don't want you to just be disciples anymore. I want you to be apostles. <laughs> I'm sending you to take me into the world. Jesus, as we come to this table... We thank you, Lord, for your gift, the gift of your risen body. We thank you today, this morning, as we gather to celebrate a resurrection. That's why we gather on Sunday morning, Jesus, is to celebrate your life, your resurrected life. Lord God, thank you for the gift of your peace. So many, so many of us, Jesus, are so wrapped up in worry and anxiety and stress and shame and fear and the sin that so easily wraps up our feet and tangles us up. Jesus, you speak this word over us right now. Peace. Peace. I love you. Peace. And Lord Jesus, you call us to reach out and touch you, your wounded body. That's what we're going to do in a moment. Lord Jesus, you give our lives purpose. There is no greater calling in our lives than to represent you to the world. Lord Jesus, you give us power. Breathe on us breath of life. And Lord Jesus, we thank you for the privilege. We hope you enjoyed this morning's message. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to contact us using our online form on our website at kingstreetchurch.com or by calling us here at 717-264-4651 during our regular business hours. Be sure to stop by and see us in person at one of our five Sunday morning services. We look forward to seeing you there.